to our King. Good morning. Good morning, Road to Damascus. We have, I'm so excited that I, I'm wound up. I'm stumbling over my words. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our lives and so grateful that we have another day. Hey, this is the time now that we finish with our praise and worship. We go right into the participation of worship through tithes and offerings. 
Y'all know this is how we function as a church, be able to raise money to continue to do the work that God has called us to do to make sure we have money available for scholarships for our young black children uh, and not or black and brown children, you know, to any any child of need that has, that needs to be able to uh, afford an education. We want to be able to take care of that need and meet the needs of God's people, whatever those needs are. Uh, we have four ways that you can participate uh, in the tithes and offerings. Uh, you can go to PayPal and search for Road to Damascus Church. That is Road, the number two, Damascus Church, or in Givelify, Road, the number two, Damascus Cash app, dollar sign, R2D Church, or old school, write a check and uh, post office box, 1382 Norwalk, California, 90651. And we just praise God and thank God for your generous offerings. For those of you who have continued to sow into this ministry, uh, we pray that God richly bless you. And those who are struggling, uh, just we just pray to ask you to pray. Uh, for God to give you wisdom and vision on uh, giving and sowing into this ministry. But either way it goes, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name as we continue on with the remainder of service. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked the question, which is the greatest commandment? He answered, love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then again, at the Last Supper, he says the same thing, but with a twist. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This time, Jesus replaced your neighbor with one another. This new love that Christ commands of us goes much deeper than the Old Testament commandment he was quoting in Matthew. The people we have been commanded to love has expanded beyond our neighborhoods to include, well, everyone. And this includes people who might make this commandment a bit difficult, like that confrontational coworker who just seems impossible to get along with, or your in-laws who've never treated you like a part of the family. Or maybe the person you just met, who you don't even know and really need some help. You see, Jesus knew his physical time on earth was nearing an end. So in this new take on the old commandment, Jesus also made another change. The words, as yourself, became as I have loved you. Wow, that's a tough act to follow. Christ's sacrificial life provides a clear and concrete example of real and true love. And he put this love on display on a daily basis with his disciples. He was patient with them, speaking kindly and showing great concern for their welfare. He instructed, counseled, and comforted them, prayed with them and for them. He admonished them for wrongdoing and yet compassionately bore with their failings. And most of all, he gave his life, dying so that they, and we, might live. According to Jesus, this is how others will know that you are one of his followers, not because you have a shirt or a bumper sticker that says so, not because we announce it from a stage or a blog or a status update, but because they look at you, at how you live, 
the things you do and say, and they see Jesus. They see love. Amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So glad to be here with you on this great Sunday morning. So, Father God, we just thank you and praise you. We give you glory for being our God, and we thank you that we were able to see a new day. Father God, we shout glory, glory, glory to the King, because today we are filled with thanksgiving. We are filled with gratitude, knowing that you gave your son for us. Lord, we just can't stop shouting enough. We can't stop praising you enough. We can't thank you enough for everything that you have done for us. And so, God, we ask that you just be with us throughout the rest of this service. We ask that you be with this nation as we go through this period of transition. We ask that you bring healing to mend the gaps of the problems that we see, the hearts and souls of men who have adopted a selfish way of life, who have adopted hate-filled life, that, 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 that adopted a, a superior and a supremacist point of view, God, we ask that you just come in and touch their hearts. And Lord, we not only ask that you touch their hearts, but you touch the hearts of those who have been oppressed, who have suffered under this regime, those who have been uh, distraught and forgot about. Let our anger not be too great, lest we destroy each other. Because God, without you in the midst, that we will see things happen that we do not want to see, things that the enemy will relish in. And Lord, we cannot let the enemy have victory. That is not to say, God, that we just want to let things go and forgive and forget because we understand that the wages of sin are, is death. But God, we are going to lean and trust in you that when things need to happen, that you will be the judge, that you will be the arbiter of, of justice, that you will punish those who need to be punished. But Lord, when if in fact, that we have to fight, that you would give us the courage, that we would go out standing firm, knowing that we are just because we have faith, that we have done things correctly, and that we have done things righteously. So God, as we move forward, let us, let us continue to study your word. Let us continue to bask in this service. Let us let the words that come forth uh, that settle in the good soil of our hearts. And Father, I ask that the words that you have given me this uh, for today, that these words will be the words that cometh from you and not come from Ron, that Ron will be reduced and hidden behind the cross, that you will be lifted up and you will be glorified and all men would see the righteousness and the love in our hearts because the commandment you gave us was not just to love some people. It wasn't just to love the people we knew. It was to love everyone as we love ourselves. And just like he said in Matthew, that it went as I have loved you, this sacrificial love that we must display for one another, a greater love that we have ever thought of. You even said it, no greater love is this than a man will lay down his life for his brother. So God, we ask that you come in and touch our hearts, that we will be like the, that the, like the way you would have us to be. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I know y'all are feeling uh, the same way I am. We're a little bit uh, still giddy uh, at the results of the, the election that was announced. Uh, it, it's okay that we, that we acknowledge and be happy about what we are seeing because what we have just lived through uh, these last four years is something that just I don't think any of us could have ever imagined uh, would have ever taken place 
in these United States at this dispensation, this point in time. It's just not something that you would think that a man like that would be elevated to the highest office in our land and not only be elevated to this office as the leader of this land, but be propped up by thousands, millions of people, including those in the faith community uh, that have seen him as a man or a beacon of faith uh, when he has displayed no evidence of faith. Uh, you know, I, I, on that note, I just want to offer uh, congratulations, not just to uh, the Biden-Harris ticket, but to America, to the world, that we finally, after four years, have a leader. Uh, if, if you watched his speech, and I know most of you did, uh, between Kamala, Kamala and uh, President-elect Biden, that we got back to what a president is supposed to look and sound like when they address the people. Uh, we got a chance to come back and see what it means to have someone display compassion and empathy. Uh, someone who's not saying, I'll remember you who didn't vote for me. Uh, we saw someone who said that even if you didn't vote for me, I'm still working for you. He wasn't out there touting the fact that he was a Christian and the Bible means a lot to him and, and clearly that you don't, you've never read the Bible. When he sat there and quoted scripture, that there is a season for everything, a season to heal, that this is the time that we need to heal and bring this land back together. It, it, see, we, we asked the previous man what was his favorite verse, and he couldn't tell you what is, where his favorite verse was. When everybody who knows that you read the Bible, if you call yourself a Christian, you have a favorite verse. There are even people who don't even believe in God that have a favorite verse, even if it's just for the poetic sense of how it sounds and how it flows. But here this man quoted Ecclesiastes, then quoted a hymn, the words from a hymn, which I know many people were sitting out there hoping that he wouldn't forget the words of this hymn. But nonetheless, he quoted the words from the hymn. But when he closed... I mean, it was like he was doing his sermonic selection at the end. Let, let's get the music in, cue the old school hymn. But then when he closed, he tells the story about his beloved grandparents. Uh, and then his grandfather, called, not called him Joe, but Joey. Joey, keep the faith. But his grandmother reminded him saying, no, Joey, don't keep the faith. Spread the faith. Almost brought me to tears. And it's interesting that in this time, that after we had four years of this man that we, you know, I don't even like to say his name, that the excitement and the exuberation was equal to Barack Obama being selected as president. And quite frankly, and if we're just going to be honest, this was just another white man who became president, but yet for some reason it seemed different. And I tell you, it was like I could breathe. I exhaled, seemed like for the first time in four years, that we did something right. We corrected a mistake. And so we give glory to God to show. Uh, let, let me say something real quick before I get into this word. Uh, see, when you have people who have elevated this man and said that he is uh, uh, chosen by God, when everything he done, he has done is opposite of what God has, uh, God's character and God's glory. We even see the fact that he will not concede. The law and order 
president, law and order president, is not conceding to how our traditions in this country, that if you lose an election, you concede. Uh, well, it was pointed out, it doesn't, according to our law, it is not necessary for him to concede. The people have spoken and the people will, the, what will be, what was done, what was executed will be done. And January 20th, whether he wants to or not, there will be a new president in 1600 Black Lives Plaza. But here's the thing. When I, we did Overcoming Obstacles October, we used a scripture from Mark, Mark chapter 9, and they tried to cast out the demon, and the disciples couldn't, and Jesus replied to them that this kind will only come out through prayer and fasting. And see, what we have seen and what we have witnessed, what we have lived through for these last four years, is not a man of God by any stretch of the imagination, because demons do not relinquish their territory uh, willingly. They fight to keep where they are. And here's this man that said, I'm going to barricade myself in the Oval Office. He's not leaving. This kind does not come out except through prayer and fasting, which tells you this is not a godly man. That's all I'm going to say on that. We're going to the word of God. Congratulations again to the Biden-Harris ticket. We did it, y'all. We did it. Even old Republican Ron worked on the Democratic side, and I'm just claiming the old school Republican Ron, so I don't want nobody coming to my house with pitchforks because I got something for you. Hey, okay. <laughs> here's the word uh, we're going to. This is the New Testament book of Jude. Some of y'all probably Jude. I don't remember seeing Jude in the Bible. It is in the Bible. It is the next to the last uh, book in the Bible. If you get to Revelation... You go to the one right before Revelation. That is the book of Jude. And some of you are going to pass by it when you get in your Bibles because it might only be one page. It is one of the shortest chapters in the Bible. It consists of one chapter, 25 verses, 23 or 25, I can't remember right now. Uh, but it is one of the shorter books in the Bible. Uh, and it's right before Revelation. One page. So if you're trying to go in your Bible towards it and you pass it, just go to the beginning, Revelation 1, and then turn back one page and you will be in the book of Jude. Jude wrote this in verses 3 and 4. And I want you guys to hear this uh, and, and, and take it in. I have two versions of this. I have it in the New King James Version and then we're going to read the voice translation so you'll want to have a better understanding of where we're going. Jude writes these words. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the New King James Version. Uh, in the, uh, the voice translation, it says, Friends, I've been trying to write you about our common salvation, but these days my heart is troubled, for I'm compelled to write to you and encourage you to continue struggling for the faith that was entrusted to the saints once and for all. Do you, you, ever, you ever think about what he's just saying and, and, and feel this right now? I'm compelled to write to you to encourage, to continue to struggle 
for the faith. Continue to struggle for the faith that was once and for that was to the saints once and for all. Vile men have slithered in among us. Depraved souls who stand condemned have made a mockery of the grace given to us, using it as a pretext for a life of excess, live without any thought of God. These poor fools have denied Jesus the anointed, our one Lord and Master. Y'all, I tell you, I, I, I was searching for the scripture. I, I had the, the theme that I wanted to deal with and I couldn't find the scripture. And you know, God is faithful. He, he leads you to exactly what he wants you to go. And he led me to this one little short letter, this, this book, this uh, Jude, this letter from Jude, who even most people don't even know who he was to reach out to God's people with a perfect timing for the theme that I'm going to preach from today. Make Christianity great again. Yeah, it's not by accident that I found the picture that said make Christianity great again on a cap. Uh, and the fact that the cap is blue. Make no mistake about it, that was very intentional. We, we, we all know uh, that this is just a play on what we have heard for over four years. This, this idea of making Christ, uh, America uh, great again. Uh, many times those of us, say, well I won't say all of us, but I'll say for me, that during the 2016 campaign just hearing that was, it. what are you talking about, make America great again? Because from the perspective that I'm seeing, not just from a, as an American citizen, but in a, an American citizen who worked for a business, and saw how our business was flourishing under the previous eight years, actually seeing it uh, almost collapse uh, prior to 2008 and then the, the administration of uh, President Barack H. Obama and Joseph Biden uh, ushering in an, an age that allowed businesses to uh, <clears throat> not fail but come back stronger. Uh, everybody who knows me knows that I've worked for Toyota during that time and we saw our car sales literally stopped. Our, I mean, everybody knows our economy literally crashed. So we weren't selling cars. We, we were trying, instead of finding dealers to sell cars to or, or, or actually finding cars to give to dealers because you know Toyota sell, the top selling car in, in, in America. Uh, instead of finding uh, cars to give to dealers, we were finding real estate to store cars because nothing was sold. We are literally watching the entire industry collapse. We, during this time, we saw the, the demise of several iconic car brands that used to be around that don't exist anymore. You know, Pontiac is no more. Oldsmobile is no more. Mercury is no more. These were car companies that had been established, tried and true, uh, died in, in the American blood fabric of, or uh, died in the blood of the American fabric car names, businesses that existed that don't exist anymore. We were on the brink of disaster. And we and we're seeing it throughout this time. And I know for Toyota that when we were projecting car sales into 2016 and beyond, we weren't supposed to get back to our original car sales from 2007 until 2020. And lo and behold, through the work of which these men and his administration put in to make America great and not to keep them to keep us from collapsing. We started seeing car sales come back in 2012, eight years ahead of plan. 
to the point that we and, and anybody who monitors or watches read the Wall Street Journal of Business, we started seeing corporate profits for every industry hit levels they had never hit before. And as a matter of fact, the Dow Jones had world record high during the Obama-Biden uh, administration. And then here comes this joker talking about we're going to make America great again. And it was almost sacrilegious. How are you going to make us great again when we're already great? It just didn't make any sense. And we look at where we are four years later in a quarantine with industries failing, businesses that have disappeared that will no longer exist ever to come back again. And it just seemed this idea, how are you going to make something great that's already great? And that's the issue we have with Christianity. It, it is the same play on words that we're saying we're going to make Christianity great again. But how are you going to make something great that's already great? Something that was not broken, you cannot fix. If it was already functioning properly, there's nothing wrong with Christianity. What is wrong are the people who have practiced it. And see, we have these woke black folks that go around that tell you a sucker if you believe in Christianity. And they, they love it. And I don't want to offend anybody. Lord knows I try not to offend folks. But, you know, I have to tell you, I give it to you real. Uh, and, and so this is not about stepping on toes. This is about keeping it real here. That we have woke black people that would tell, call Christianity the white man's religion. And that you as a black man should not be following the white man's religion. And I didn't have to argue with these folks because you, if you really study, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot, but you also understand that what you just, all you do is look at a map and see where this come. And, and, or, and just remember a little bit about your, your high school and middle school uh, history lessons and, and see that Christianity spread from that region into Europe. And, and it was Paul who was the main facilitator of bringing Christianity into the European uh, world to which Constantine uh, became impacted by it and he spread Christianity throughout the world but it is not by any means something that started in Europe it started y'all I'm just leave that alone uh, but see Christianity is not the problem it's the people that have practiced Christianity that are the problem you see in these images uh, of various people who have taken our faith they have hijacked our faith and used it for their own personal gain and see uh, i don't know if all y'all had seen the video of paula white praying for the election after the the all the votes after november 3rd and they're counting the mail-in ballots which we all know were going to be heavily democratic because your boy was the one who was telling people that it was a flawed system so his people as they always do listen to him they weren't going to use those ballots they were going to do what he said. He had his, uh, his, his partner running the post office, dismantling machine, taking away these other machines, making it more difficult for mail-in ballots to be processed. And when they bring in the mail-in ballots, he's complaining about it. So she starts praying for him. And she's praying and praying and speaking in tongues and forming it, foaming at the mouth. Some idiot is walking past her back and forth. And she starts speaking in tongues. She's striking the ground and had the audacity to call for the angels from Africa. Y'all, she calling for angels from Africa. I mean, if you could just let that sink in for a minute. This woman who calls herself a, a Christian, a woman of God, a great preacher, striking the ground, taking, taking back territory for this evil man. 
and talking about she's calling for the angels from Africa to go come and save him. Lord, have mercy. You can't make a, you couldn't write this if you were trying to write a, com a, com a comedy. Then you got the Westboro uh, Baptist Church that goes around protesting funerals, holding up uh, fags of beasts, gods, hates fags, y'all go burn, uh, the, the good thank you for this soldier dying. These people have hijacked Christianity. The other picture we see, the old picture of old Reverend Ike with his Rolls Royce. Pimping folks, that's what they, they start calling us pulpit pimps because everybody's focus is on the money not to build God's kingdom but to do and enrich themselves and you see Jim Jones at the bottom and you know all these people uh, that he took down, took all their money took all their women and then had the audacity to kill them uh, for when it realized that the walls were coming in and here the last one is my boy here, he just really cracked me up uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this video but he's being uh, 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 they were talking to him about his, his financial situation uh, that uh, because he had a, a mansion that he purchased uh, via the church uh, that it was supposed to be a retreat for his ministerial staff uh, but it just so happened nobody from his ministerial staff had actually ever been to the retreat uh, he was the only one that actually went to the retreat he was the only one who was living there and over the time that he owned this house uh, he had been the only person who had been there. Uh, he also uh, argued for the fact that he needed $3,000 tailor-made suits because he sweats profusely. See, we're talking about people who have hijacked Christianity. There, there was nothing wrong with Christianity, but there's definitely something wrong with people who have taken it and tried to use it for their own gain. Uh, see, and we, those of you who are like me, you have begun to abandon the term Christianity uh, or Christian when people are talking about you. It's hard. I know I gave it up years ago uh, to, to actually say that if someone asked me, are you a Christian? I would say, no, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm a believer. Uh, you actually have some people that will say that they know I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ's teachings or, or even better yet, I'm spiritual. Because the idea of being Christian just doesn't sit well with a lot of folks because the what we have seen are not just those people, what we have seen countless ministers that we know that are out there doing dirt. Uh, whether they have done it because they have uh, are looking for the money uh, or because they're looking for power, uh, sometimes it's just looking for sex. They, they're using their position to ingratiate themselves to people to have them satisfy them sexually. And we, we, we can't even act like we haven't seen it. We, we haven't been in these churches where this pastor is married and then all of a sudden a month later he's married to somebody else and she got a, a child on the way. Shotgun wedding from the pastor and then we're still sitting up in the church. Well, nobody's perfect. If you're looking for nobody perfect, you're just looking for somebody to do something right. Christianity was not the problem. The problem has always been the people who have used it for their reason. Because if you just get to the, the, what it means to be a Christian, it just simply means one who follows the teaching of Christ. Depending on the translation or, what, or the context in which it used, it might even have belonging to Christ, which what we see in some of the writings that Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ. Matter of fact, even in the, the very opening in verse 1 of Jude's letter, he says, this, uh, Jude, a bondservant 
of Christ. See, he is, I belong to Christ, and I, that Christ has some ownership of me. So there's nothing wrong with saying that I am a Christian, because if you are truly a Christian, you are a person who follows the teachings of Christ, that you believe in the teachings of Christ, that you belong to Christ, then you are a Christian. It's got nothing to do with what these people have done that have stolen and hijacked the, re the religion. What, 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 what uh, uh, Jude is telling us to do is carpe fide, seize the faith. And you, we've heard people say carpe diem, right? Yeah, they say seize the day. Well, carpe fide, seize the faith. Carpe seize fide, faith, seize the faith. This is the charge he has given us to. He says, continue to struggle for the faith. Carpe fide. That should be our battle cry that when we go out, that when people are talking to us about who you are, are you a Christian, and we're seeing these people that are going out and stealing and bastardizing our faith, we need to seize that faith. When we talk about making Christianity again, uh, great again, we are talking about carpe fide. Seize the faith. Jude writes this letter. He's, he's admonishing us. He uses the words, contend earnestly. Contend earnestly for the faith. But I want you to understand, he didn't say contend for your faith. He said contend for the faith. The faith by which we are called. The faith by which we are saved. The faith by which we have been taught. Contend earnestly. Y'all, you see, I don't do this in church, but I'm going to do it today in virtual while we're in the cyber sanctuary in the virtual church. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, Carpe Fide. <laughs> if nobody, if you haven't brushed your teeth yet, don't say it too loud where you're spraying. I'm just, just Carpe Fide. And this is what Jude is telling us. Contend earnestly with the faith. The faith. He is dealing with the false teachers. See, a lot of us, we, 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 have, we have been taught in too many cases as Christians that you can't call out the bad seeds, the bad apples. It, it is, but Jude is saying, you, you know, we, they got some bad people out here. And he said that we had some snakes that slithered in. Vile men have come in and have taken the teaching that you once knew, took your faith that which you were given. He said the faith that was given once and for all. This, this stuff that, that has come around after, that somebody's got a, a New Testament or a New Testimony. He, he, Jude is setting the record straight, knowing that in the end you were going to have people come and saying, I got something new. It said, this was given to the saints once and for all, contend earnestly for the faith of which you have been given. These false teachers, what they teach, he's, he's telling them. He's looking at, he's telling us today that when we see these people, these teachers are telling us that you have salvation, so therefore you can go do what you want to do. He calls out, if you read those 25 verses, he's calling out different uh, people, people who have run amok of what God teaches. They have uh, lived lives contrary to what God tells us to do because they believe that they are saved. We know we're all saved. And we, we see uh, when, when we read John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world 
right? And some of us believe, well, I'm part of the world, so God loved me that I can go ahead and do what I want to do. And this is what Jude is dealing with, saying, no, 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 no. You see, you have been following, following these false teachers, and the evidence of the false teachers is the lewd lifestyles that you're living. He said, you, just because you have salvation does not give you license to live an uh, unrighteous life. It, just because you have salvation, you don't have the right to pervert God's grace. You may have salvation, but you do not get to go out and live your life the way you want to live and consider yourself a child of God. Because when God says, I am holy, therefore you be holy, that means that you be holy like God, not like you used to be. Uh, see, he, he identified and, and is calling out like we need to identify and call out uh, the people who have compromised their morality for the pursuit of earthly possessions. They have sold out their morality for the pursuit of influence, and they have sold out uh, their morality for, the, uh, 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 the, for power. Just all you have to do, look at these. People I know thought that Paula White was a great preacher. She sold out and compromised her, mor her morality for what? Influence and power? To be ingratiated to the president? Is not your salvation worth more than that? Isn't your salvation worth more than a Rolls Royce? Isn't your salvation worth more than a tailor-made suit? All these things will perish. Here, all it took is one election and this dude is gone. Where is your influence going to be when you side, when you sell out your soul, when you sell out your morality for influence, for temporary, thing, temporary things? How have you been teaching folks about the goodness of God? And he tells us not to, to store up treasures on earth where they will rust and decay, but we are supposed to store up our treasures in heaven. And yet here you are pursuing earthly power, influence, and possession. See, Jude has identified what I, I, I'm going to coin, you know, after every now and then I'll come up with something that I like. I think, ooh, that was nice. I'm going to coin this. You can go ahead and write this down, Pastor Ron. That you, we are looking or confusing what is Christian as opposed to what is Christian influenced. And see, there are people who appear to be Christian, but they're only influenced by Christianity. And see, if you take the, con uh, the contrast between Joe Biden and 45, and see, one goes around with photo ops holding a Bible of which he doesn't, uh, doesn't know how to hold correctly, and then the other one can quote scripture. One who can quote the lines of a hymn. There is a difference between someone who is a Christian versus Christian influence. And you see, one who has faith that can go back and hear stories and share a story, a story that, that, that touched me. Just had to pause for a minute. That he's relating the story of his grandmother. No, Joey. Don't keep the faith. Spread the faith. And then goes and commits his life to public service 
and even as now, even as president of the United States, has already been designated, uh, or, or maybe now I'm not going to say this in case I got it wrong, but then as he dedicates his life to public service, also have a son who dedicated his life to protecting and serving our country. There is a difference between people who are Christian and those who are Christian influence, and we have to identify and be able to spot them by their, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. How are you going to tell me that someone is a Christian that can't control their behavior, behave like a petulant child, as opposed to another one who comes out, we're not assuming any victory, Let's be calm until they count every vote. This is a time for patience. As opposed to another one. I'm winning here. Keep counting the votes. Stop counting these votes because I was winning. Now I'm losing. We're going to fight this to the end. We're going to court. This thing is not over. That Christian versus Christian influence. It, it is incumbent upon us in the faith community to be able to carpe fide. Say it again with me. Carpe fide. We need to be able to identify vile people who have crept into the body and have brought along the corruption that has disrupted and made the name of Christianity bad. So here's the, the first step to making Christianity great again. We have to be able to identify, number one, godly living versus ungodly living. And in all these points, my three points today are all in verse four. And you see what the part I want to lift up or what's highlighted in red. Uh, he says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, the New King James Version, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. That's highlighted in red. Uh, this is, we have to be able to determine godly versus ungodly living. Uh, the, the ungodly living some people have questioned what does that mean it literally means you live your life as if there is no God see there are people who are kind of on the cusp you know they, they kind of believe in God kind of don't believe in God they're not 100% certain so they don't ever go full bore on their unrighteousness they, they're taking things to the limit but they try to hold some things back just in case but ungodly folks they don't pump the brakes for anything. They don't it's, it's throw caution into the wind is what they do. Whatever it is, you know, forget it. I'm doing it. Uh, it, 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 it. You've heard these people say, uh, no, I don't consider myself. I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything. They, see, these people, they, they're ungodly. They will do anything. They live their life because they don't believe in God. And we have people who are influenced by those. Uh, the ungodly living is driven by a heart that does not know God. And they don't want to know God. And see there, you get to a place in life. And, and I'm speaking for myself. There was a point in my life that I would be able to raise my hand and tell y'all I was living ungodly. Because the, I was living my life as if I didn't know who God was. And I can tell you what, when I was knee deep in it, I didn't want to know God because if I knew God, then I couldn't possibly be living the life that I was living. I couldn't engage in the behavior that I was engaged in. I couldn't act the way I was acting if I believed in God. But somewhere along the line, like the prodigal son, 
I'm down there in the slop and realizing where I am. It's like, boy, you better straighten up before you find yourself in a world of hurt. Yeah, see, he's talking about these ungodly men. We know who they are. Why are we afraid to carpe fide and call it out? When you see a preacher talking about uh, that we can't let anybody in in the middle of a flood because uh, our building was flooded and you see picture and video after video on Facebook where the floodwaters were nowhere near the sanctuary and yet thousands of people fill that place week after week by his books by the millions because he's a man of God. It, he, Paul wrote in Romans 125, he says, they, he's talking about ungodly men. They have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. The ungodly people will worship and create things to be praised rather than praise God. This is what he's, he's talking about when we're dealing with these ungodly people. We know who these ungodly people are. We know who these ungodly church leaders are. But yet, for whatever reason, we continue to turn our back and ignore these things as if, <coughs> ah, as if uh, that things are, are uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? That it does not matter uh, what's going on or what they're doing. Uh, it matters what, what's going on. It matters for us to be people of God, to call out these things. Thank you very much. Uh, my wife sneaking in, giving me some water. <laughs> ah, thank you very much, baby. Uh, that this is what he, he's calling out. And, and so even Paul even goes even further when he's telling us Romans 12, 1, that when you're talking about living godly lives, this is how we're supposed to live a godly life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is what we're supposed to be living. This is how you identify ungodly versus ungodly living. If you see people who are not offering their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, they're ungodly living. Carpe fide. Here's the second thing that we have to identify to make Christianity great again. Identify love of grace or abuse of grace. As a, again, in verse 4, when he says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, and here we are, was highlighted in red, who turned the grace of God into lewdness. We're talking about the love of grace versus the abuse of grace. See, there, there are many of us who have been benefactors of grace. And when you have benefited from the grace of God, you have a tendency to love it. Because you want it. When you, when you realize that you were once lost in sin and because of God's grace, the, the stuff that you were doing has not killed you, but you still here that you have found yourself in a situation. See, see I'm, I'm talking to those of us who weren't born saints. 
And I know some of y'all were born perfect, but see, Brother Ryan, I wasn't born perfect. Brother Ryan has done some stuff. Brother Ryan has been in places he should not have been and done things he should not have been doing and, and seen things that he should not have seen. And yet God's grace has kept me through it all. I've, I've been places where bullets were flying and a bullet should have had my name on it. I've, I've been driving down the street and, 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 and have a tire blow out and that car should have flipped over. But thanks be to God, his grace saved me. We, we, we have that old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, when you've been through a situation and you have seen God's grace work in your life, I tell you, y'all, if you have ever been a place where you know you shouldn't have no money and you shouldn't even be walking around, but because of God's grace, you are sustained and you're still here, you have a, a tendency that you want to see it. And it angers you to see people abuse it. I, I, I don't want to see people abuse the grace of God. I certainly don't want to see preachers teaching people to abuse the grace of God. And I can't stand by idly and watch these things happen because now I can tell you, I can tell you now. That if I was talking trash about some false teacher before, now that I got this word from Jude that is telling me to seize the faith of carpe fide, boy, I'm going to be on a tear. I'm just giving you fair warning. If you sold you caught up in certain preachers, just beware that I'm going to be coming after them. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 1, Romans 6 verses 1 and 2, when he's talking about abusing grace, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? <laughs> That's the well, Shall I go on sinning because I have grace? Because God has pulled my butt out of a sling that I should go? He's done it more than one time. So that because he's done it, do I keep going on and sinning, thinking that this grace is going to increase? And Paul tells you, no, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is what he's talking about. Uh, Jude is influenced by what Paul is saying. You cannot continue to live a life that is ungodly and abusing the grace of God. And you cannot sit by and watch people teach others to uh, live ungodly. It's okay to live ungodly and abuse God's grace. So shall we just keep going on living? Shall we just keep going on letting these pulpit pimps steal, uh, steal their money? Should we just keep going on watching these preachers uh, uh, captain for evil men? He said, no, no. Jews said, contend for the faith, the faith for Christianity. He just, they just didn't call it Christianity then. Contend for Christianity. Carpe fide. See, this is what we're talking about, grace. Remember the, the New Testament story of, of Zacchaeus? And he, he sees, he comes, Jesus is coming and he sees him and he wants Jesus to come to his house, but he's been cheating and stealing from people his whole life. He's been abusing his grace. And then he comes to a place where he realizes he needs to love grace. 
and he's talking to Jesus. People are criticizing Jesus. How are you going to this man's house for dinner? You can't be hanging out posted up with homeboy. And Zacchaeus, realizing that he was in the presence of God, says, he said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. This was a man who no longer wanted to live in a life of abusing faith. You see, what do you, what do you say to a pastor who goes on TV and says, we would let people in, but there's been flooding and we just it's not safe. We just can't do it. And see video after video that the water ain't nowhere near your sanctuary. Y'all just didn't want to let poor people, homeless people in your sanctuary. Me and, me and Elder uh, Deborah Marshall were talking on Tuesday about the mindset of churches today. The, we want to continue to build and build all these mega churches. I was sharing with her, one of my frat brothers was questioning why with all these big mega churches, why don't we have credit unions, training schools that are church owned? If you can build a $23 million facility, you can build a credit union that will give low interest loans to people who need them. You can provide uh, loans for housing for people to have a place to live, for shelter. But we have a mindset. There was a church that I was a part of years ago that was in a temporary location and he was getting 40 to 50 people joining every week and he wanted to build, he had this vision to build this great facility and he said he wanted to have the greatest church in all of Christendom, the greatest building. Where is the value in that? Because here we are for the last seven months unable to go into these great buildings. These buildings are empty. What are we, what are we doing, folks? Isn't that kind of abusing God's grace that he has blessed you with all these resources and instead of using the resources to build up the community in which that church lives, they're building houses, great facilities for themselves to glorify the work. And, and if you read the biography of some of these pastors that have built churches, that's something they put on their resume. He built this church of their glorious facility from the ground up. Under his leadership, they were able to move from this facility to a 10,000 square foot state of the art, blah, 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 blah. But wouldn't it be better to say they built with cooperation with four other churches, a credit union that provided low interest housing loans to those who were in transition, that built the school that helped develop uh, children that weren't going to college to train them in trades that they could go out and earn a living. Uh, they purchased a building and turned it into transitional housing uh, and trained job training and job skills to take people off the street to get jobs to then be able to go and buy and rent, uh, rent property to have a home. Carpe fide. Here's the last point. And we go get out of here. 
we, we talk first um, ungod, godly versus ungodly living uh, a loving grace versus abusing grace and now holding to Christ versus denying Jesus and the last line of verse 4 after he says these ungodly men who turn to God into our lewdness and here's what's highlighted in red and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ now, I already know what some folks are going to say uh, now nah, right you know he he said that the Bible is his favorite book he, he has a Bible on his nightstand you know what there was there's a there's a hotel a little I won't call it a hotel. There's this, uh, it's a motel, a no-tail motel in, in LA off of on Western uh, called the Snooty Fox. And uh, back in the day, I don't know what they do now, but back in the day, the Snooty Fox is one of them places you can go and uh, get the room by the hour. So that tells you what kind of place this was. And, and I'm revealing more about me when I'm talking about God's grace now, y'all. See, remember, I told you I wasn't born saying I wasn't born a saint. I wasn't born born perfect. But at the at the at the snooty, inside the uh um nightstand is a Bible. So because you tell me that you got a Bible in your nightstand, that don't mean nothing. You get a Bible at the nightstand at the motel. The Bible was placed there by the Gideons, just like they always have placed it. Every if you go to the Drake Hotel, the Bible's in there from the Gideons, and at the Notel Motel at the Snooty Fox, the Bible was placed there by the Gideons. Having a Bible in the nightstand don't make you righteous or godly. It just means you got a Bible. Next to the place you're doing ungodly and unrighteous things. Do you read that Bible would be my question. Has, is that Bible inside you? And if it is, you would know how to hold it up is the right way. Actually, if you knew how to over read a book, you would know how to hold it up the right way. But that's a whole nother thing. But here we're, we're, we're talking about <laughs> holding to Christ versus denying Christ. And here's Titus. He says in verse 116, talking about these who, who claim they know Christ. They claim to know God, but their actions, but by their actions, they deny him. And you could talk about how much you love God and how important the Bible is to you and how important your faith is. But if your life says otherwise then your words are meaningless you you can't tell me that how important god is in your life you can't tell me how important the word is in your life if you are walking around bragging about how you grab women by the genital parts you can't tell me how important god is to you if you are keeping your church closed to keep people from drowning in the middle of a flood your actions tell me titus says they claim to know God, but their actions, but by their actions, they deny him. Listen to this. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You know, in the English language, we talk about adjectives. You know, we know a lot about adjectives. My boy Titus, he just went in. Or as they would say, he went ham. Yeah, they're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. What y'all supposed to do? When we, 
see these things, we're supposed to carpe fide. Seize the faith. Carpe fide. Seize the faith. I'm going to say it again. Say it with me. Carpe fide. Carpe fide. When we talk about making Christianity great again, Christianity was already great. We have just allowed people to come in and hijack it, and we've said nothing. We haven't seized our faith. We haven't carpe fide. We don't really have to make Christianity great again. We just have to seize the faith. The faith, Christianity is great. We got to call out the false teachers. We can't stand by and watch these people steal and hijack our faith. This can't be allowed. We can't allow them to come in and take what has been good and destroy it. This is literally what we have let happen to our faith. And we have had it done on our watch. It's, it's just like people trying to ask that question. Well, I didn't vote for him. No, you didn't vote for him this time. Now let me let me make something very clear when we look at men like 45. He didn't just pop up on the scene by like that. This is years upon years of us thinking and acting in, in selfish ways and everything that we do. He is the personification of everything this land is about today. And we are hopeful that after the four years that we have realized and have elected a new president, that we are seeing the mistakes of our ways, that we have, we have reaped what we have sown. And see, this goes all the way back. We were kind of talking about it in Bible study about how we feel when we go through communities that have changed ethnically. But if we were looking 20 years ago, arguing to have uh, to stop illegal immigration or to keep them out of schools or to keep them from having uh, health care service uh, or anything that we were discriminating against people for whatever that reason is, now that we are inspired and righteous well no I don't feel that way now but we're not going to escape the seeds we planted 20 30 40 years ago Paul wrote do not be deceived for whatsoever a man soweth that he will reap reapeth so if you sow the seed 30 years ago and today I'm, you know, I sowed a seed in selfishness, sowed a seed in hate, but today I'm loving all of God's people. The harvest is still coming in. You just have grace now to deal with it. And we suffered four years of the seeds that we have been planting for years, and we reap the harvest. Now, what we have to do is continue to move forward to carpe fide and continue to trust and love and be what God has called us to be. Then we will see Christianity be great again. God our Father, we thank you and praise you. We give your name glory and honor. 
We thank you, Lord, for the letter that Jude wrote, that, we, that he recognized something in the church that was going on that he knew wasn't right. We thank you, God, that we still have this word today that we can go back and see the error of our ways and how we can move forward in the future. God, you have given us the roadmap that we have to be able to discern between righteous or godly and ungodly living. That we see, look at people who are abuse God's grace or love your grace. And then we see those who love you versus deny you. It, we, it is obvious for us, God, that you have given us the roadmap. Now we have to carpe fide, that we have to contend earnestly for the faith, that we will have to fight to make sure we drive out the snakes that have slithered in, that have tried to corrupt what you have made whole, that made perfect, that they try to change or give us something new that you have already given once and for all. Help us, God, to remember that you are the one that's in control. You are the one that is sovereign, that you are God above all and control any and everything. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all. All right, I just got a couple more things uh, to go over. Uh, we, we, we talked about the, we got a new president, uh, which is great. What I want y'all to do is be very careful out there in the time, in the next few uh, days, in a couple of weeks. I personally don't believe these guys uh, actually have it in them to react, as they say, or start a civil war. Because the, the reality of the situation is a lot of us, people like me, uh, have guns. And you're also dealing with a disenfranchised people that have been dealing with hate and oppression for decades. And I, I, I told a friend of mine, a so-called friend of mine, uh, that's kind of angry. I said, you really don't want to be on the other side of a group of men and women who have been oppressed and abused and disenfranchised and are righteously angry that are just waiting for people like you to cast the first stone because baby you gonna get hit with a barrage you ain't ready for i keep telling these folks they they love these basement warriors living in their mama's basement love to talk trash and dress up like soldiers but they don't want they ain't ready for this smoke of dealing with some angry y'all i keep telling you ain't seen an angry black man or an angry black woman till you come in, in their presence with this nonsense you're going to see some smoke you ain't ready for. But I don't believe they're going to be ready. And y'all have to keep your head on a swivel. Be careful out there. Keep your eyes open. When you see people who are driving aggressively, they got them flags and, they're, and they're, they're bumper stickers, watch out for them. Take note. Call people so they know where you are. Be careful out there. If you local, call me because I tell you what, I got a lot of pent-up anger and I ain't afraid to unleash it. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> I'm kidding because I know my dad would be watching this and call me, Ronald, you shouldn't say these things. I'm joking. <laughs> so, uh, but on another note, uh, yesterday uh, they laid to rest my wife's uncle. Uh, we called him Junior. Uh, he he uh, had brain cancer and passed away last week, and yesterday they, they laid him to rest. Uh, so keep my wife and her family in prayer. Uh, and you know how it is in the case of a lot of families that you... Uh, death brings out the worst in people. So let's pray uh, that peace, 
and the Holy Spirit dwell in the midst of all any any issues that nothing raise up. And and you know you don't have to to talk to a relative on a day to day basis uh, to be touched. All of us we've lost others, so keep her in prayer. Uh, that she'll be lifted up because she's had her moments you know, when Junior comes up. And, and I'm going to tell you, in, in her family, there are some people that you like and there are some that you really like. Junior is one of them kind of people that's in between the like and really like. I mean, he was, he was all right, but he wasn't all that. But he was, he was funny. Uh, he made me laugh. He was always nice. And he always embraced me uh, every time I saw him and, uh, he just never, and he wouldn't stop talking, just talk, 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 talk. Uh, but he was a good dude and, uh, and he will be missed in their family. So keep them lifted up. Um, I can't think of anything else, uh, that I need to go over with y'all, uh, before we break today. Uh, but you know, be careful. I guess that's really it. Be careful. Oh no, I'm sorry. I had to offer Christ. What am I doing? If you're out here watching and you don't know Christ in the remission of your sins, I want to offer Christ to you. This, this is vitally important. This is the most important part of being a pastor, being a preacher, is to make sure, not just preaching this message, but make sure that you know the pardoning of Jesus, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, that you know Jesus for the pardoning of your sin. Uh, that he was born, that he died, and he was resurrected, that we might have eternal life. Uh, Paul had written that if you believe, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God did raise him from the dead, then you are saved. And that's all it takes is for you to profess and believe. And it's not just thinking, it's professing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And then believing that God did raise him from the dead, then you will be saved. We are living in some dark times. And what, we, what we've experienced for the last four years is probably just the beginning of what, are, what is to come. Uh, and so it is more important than ever that we are in the faith community, that we go out and reach as many people and that as many people come to Christ as possible. Because while things may end here, there is something else on the other side waiting for us. And that is glorious and, and holy and great. And that is our salvation. So that's it of what I'm going to Oh, okay. Yeah. As my wife reminded me, and I forgot about this again, when we did our anniversaries last week, our church anniversary, y'all next week, seven years. Yeah. Go ahead and clap where you are. They're doing seven years. Folks said we weren't going to last two months. Seven years, we're still here, y'all. Seven years, we're still here. I'm not clapping and, and, and boasting about it uh, to make anybody feel bad. It's, we're just celebrating the work that God has done. And little bitty road to Damascus Church, this little bitty church that somebody people thought wasn't going to make it, wasn't going to last a couple months, and we still here. Some of them same pastors that was talking trash have been moved from church to church to church to church. They have not been anywhere consistent. Some of them have started churches and their churches have fallen. It's, God is doing something here with Road to Damascus. And I tell you, I'm so grateful. At first, we were gonna, I was going to have one of uh, Pastor Ray uh, connect with us via uh, Zoom and, and deliver an a anniversary message. But that would kind of fly in the face of what we have been about at Road to Damascus. It's not that we don't want to celebrate these things is that our focus has always been from the beginning on God. 
Uh, and so we'll celebrate the milestone at 10 years that we can bring somebody in. We did it at one. We did, I think we may have done it at two. We definitely did it at five. And we'll do it again at 10. But ultimately, it's not about Road to Damascus getting glory. It's about God getting the glory. Because if we do what we're supposed to do, who cares how old we are as long as we help somebody, as long as we direct somebody to Christ, as long as one soul has been saved, then we have done what we are supposed to do. But nonetheless, you should be happy and proud. Seven years uh, that we started this church in 2013, November, the second Sunday, in, uh, what, I think it was the second Sunday, November 10th. Uh, so this next Sunday will, will be the actual celebration. And it was November 10th or 13th. I had to look at the calendar. Nonetheless, but it is uh, seven years and uh, we are still here and it doesn't seem like we're going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, so we are still here through the grace of God. Uh, I love each and every one of you for your, your participation who have helped make Road to Damascus what it is and what we will be because I believe the foundation that we have laid is only signs of what is to come. And it is not about building a facility that everybody would be jealous of. It is about building God's community. That is what we will be able to hang our hats on. Building God's community. But seven years in, seven years in, and each one of you should be proud of what we've done, that we've remained steadfast and faithful to the vision, and we will continue to do these things. So... Uh, that's it. We're about to get up out of here. Uh, let's, let's do our benedictions. Uh, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy to guard our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever and all of God's people wherever you are said amen. Amen y'all. Hey, this is Pastor Ryan on this beautiful Sunday morning. Grateful to be alive, grateful to be able to talk to you, and just so thankful for God that he gave us a word today. I love you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No Bible study on Wednesday. Just, I forgot. I'm so sorry. No Bible study on Wednesday. I will be celebrating my birthday. It's on Thursday. Uh, but I'll be celebrating starting Tuesday. So no Bible study on Wednesday. And uh, so, as I said, Pastor Ron, I love you from the bottom of my heart. And there ain't nothing y'all can do about it. Uh, y'all be blessed and have a great and wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.